that uh, that song right there, that's uh, that's my jam right there. Uh, I tell you, that's that's my that's one of my top songs of all time. If I was a uh, I don't know, if I was a, a WWE fighter or an MMA fighter, I'd come out to that song right there, and be ready to just go at it, just ready. Um, thank you all, uh, uh, worship leaders and musicians. Thank you all so much for uh, getting us to the throne. Uh, it's an awesome opportunity to always, uh, to, to anytime I get a chance to stand before you all, um, it is not something that I take lightly. Uh, I don't know like how many of you actually tried it before, but preaching is extremely difficult. Uh, it's really hard. Uh, uh, you know, I'm sure I, I can I can share in, in in a little. I can share with Charles Spurgeon. Some of my preaching friends uh, tell me the same thing that that it is a time where you know you you sometimes the enemy wants to attack you before you. Uh, stand up or the night before or or for Charles Spurgeon it was always moments before he had to preach uh, he would just he would always get extremely sick and his deacons would have to help him back to the pastor's study so he can just um, vomit and and then he would be too weak to preach so they would have to carry him to the pulpit and let him lean against it and preach and this is what happened to him every Sunday that he preached um, you know I tell you guys James Massey and uh and Charles uh, Gardner, excuse me, Gardner C. Taylor uh, expresses that preaching is um, is uh, a terrible joy. It is it is uh, an affliction for them. Uh, they call it a sweet torture of Sunday morning. And so um, and so preaching is something that uh, I I do not take lightly. I appreciate uh, the men that are faithful to the task uh, to the text and to the task of preaching. I know uh, you've had the privilege. Of hearing uh, uh, Reverend or Brother Amos uh, Williams, uh, Reverend Williams, and, and Pastor Alex have um, gone through the songs with you, and I will attempt to do um, the same thing. I say attempt because uh, I'm a little bit, just a little bit more nervous than usual about this song because this is the one that uh, I had to preach uh, in Hebrew for. Like this is the last thing I had to do to graduate, and it was terrible. It was. Uh, I, I like as a five-year-old, I had preached a better sermon than I did. Uh, there is, it was, it was, it was eaten up by the professor. Uh, uh, I mean, I was even as I'm preaching, I'm like, something's wrong here. Something doesn't feel right. And and I get to the end of my sermon, and I realize, is that it? Like, I, it was no ending. Like, and so, and so, uh, I mean, I passed. You know, like, like, so I, I'm, I'm, I, but that is something that I am a little nervous about. Is that can I redeem myself? Uh, uh, I guess. So we'll ask Christ to redeem this sermon. Uh, Psalm 125, uh, we, we will title it, uh, In God We Trust. And uh, I just want you all to keep up with me as we go through uh, this psalm and understand that in trusting God, you will receive uh, privileges such as protection, promises, and peace. And so uh, we, will, we will attempt to walk through this psalm. Uh, In God We Trust. Um, I don't know if, if many of you remember um, but a few years, more than a few years ago, uh, there there was this time where we went through as a nation called uh, where where it was emphasized the godless coin or the godless dollar. I don't know if you all remember that, um, but it was a big deal. I remember even as a uh, I'm pretty sure I was in college, uh, even getting like this chain email from 
people that was irate about the fact that the new dollar coin did not have in God we trust on it. And people, man, there was a commotion. It was, it was don't use the government dollar coin that doesn't have in God we trust. The, this is the first sign that the government is trying to go away from Christianity, even though the nation really wasn't built on Christianity. And, and, and they, it was just this big deal. And what had happened was uh, Congress had made a decision to place the inscription in God we trust along the edge of the coin instead of in its normal spot. And so a lot of the people were causing such commotion and their coin had in God we trust on it. They just didn't see it. And so, uh, and so <clears throat> there were a very few rare ones, and to this day there's still a little bit value to them that did not get it printed because they made the transition. But for the most part, uh, the dollars had in God we trust on it, but people caused such a commotion because they thought it did not. For believers, for us, our uh, primary concern or the issue isn't, for us, whether or not a coin or a dollar has in God we trust on it. That's not, that's not what the real problem is. For us, it is more important that we make sure that the slogan uh, in God we trust is inscribed in our hearts and is visible in our lives. So turn with me to Psalm 125. Um, Alex, in his absence and to the session, I thank you all for your leadership. Uh, to my wife, who uh, is, hey, she made it in. She she's supposed to be working, but you know, uh, but she decided to tell them no. So, but my wife, who is here, uh, uh, the most beautiful thing on the planet, uh, uh, husbands, y'all can argue with me about that later. Um, uh, but it is always a joy to stand before you all. Psalm one twenty five. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be unto Israel. Let us pray. Lord, as we needed you before, we need you now. Open our hearts and minds. Give us wisdom. Father, I ask that you decrease me, that you may increase. Father, to the point where they see all of you and none of me. Amen. All right, so you all have been going through the Psalms. Um, It's a good thing we're not going to go through all 150 of them, right? Because it's been a while. But this one here is Psalm 125. And Psalm 125 is what is considered, uh, you may see it above your Bible, above your chapter, a pilgrim psalm or a song of ascent, or an ascension song. Um, it is believed that the reason they gave them uh, these titles is 15 of them. It's 15 pilgrim, ascension, song of ascent. It's 15 of those kind of psalms in the Bible. Uh, the first reason that they believe to have titled them such is that they believe that the Levites would sing along the steps of the temple to Jerusalem, in Jerusalem. And there was 15 steps. 
And so for each step, they had these 15 songs they would sing. Now, how the rhythm to it, we don't know. We don't know if, if they stepped on the first song, uh, step, and then they sung the first ascension song. They stepped on the second. We don't know, or if they just sung all of them as the people entered. But that's the first one. As they ascended into the temple, they would sing these ascension songs. Uh, the second uh, reason they're titled this is because it is believed that these are the 15 psalms that the people sang in unison as they made their way to that great city, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is on the hill, so you have to go up. So as you made the pilgrim, the pilgrim psalm, or as you rise up or ascended up to the temple, the people would sing this song. They would sing songs as they head to the three uh, annual festival marches. And, and they would sing songs like, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. They exclaimed as they made their way to Jerusalem, the Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. They, they use this, this joyful sentiment and say how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. So Psalm 125 is among these ascension songs. And we can take our time to use our uh, imagination to see the people as they head to Jerusalem. And the writer of this psalm, uh, who is unknown, begins to dwell about that great mountain, Mount Zion. As he begins to walk to Jerusalem, he begins to see the mountains that surround it, and he decides to declare these words that we find here in Psalm 115. Those who trust in the Lord. Uh-huh. They are like Mount Zion, one of the mountains that cannot be moved. So, so you can see now as they're heading up uh, to Mount Zion that he says this Mount Zion cannot be moved and it abides wherever. He continues to observe the natural forces that surrounds Jerusalem and pronounce as the mountains surround Jerusalem. So the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. You get to realize now that faith, trust in the Lord, doesn't just allow you to move mountains. But as you see here in this song, it makes you as a mountain, unmovable and always abiding. So we have two emphasis about God's protection here that we see from these first two verses. First, what this protection comes with obedience. Secondly, this protection is a general principle. But what do I mean by that? God is the eternal protector for those that trust in him. He's the eternal protector. See, we will have instances here on earth where we may not feel protected, where we may be harmed, where we may even be killed and martyred. This protection, though, is an eternal protection. Uh, Dr. Ross, uh, as he talked to us about this song, he says, if you think about the people that are in other countries that are beaten every day, whose loved ones are being killed, we can understand how Paul would say, for me to die is gain. That maybe our thoughts are not like the Lord's, and them dying is actually a way of protecting them. Those who are like Mount Zion are unmovable. And they abide forever. So we see that God's protection here, it comes through obedience. This obedience, this faith 
works together, that you don't have faith without obedience. And you cannot say, I, I obey God, but I don't believe in him. Uh, that's not the problem. Is that not the problem we have when we look at James and we compare James writing to Paul's writing? That many people say, wait a minute, James says uh, that faith and is about action. But we believe that faith, no, that, that salvation is only about faith. It has nothing to do with works. But the, the understanding is faith comes and it is by faith alone you are saved, but faith never comes alone. That faith comes with the desire and the will to do God's work. We see here that God is the ultimate protector. And those that trust in God are like Mount Zion. They are unmovable and unshakable. God is that foundation that they are built on. And that's the foundation we must be built on in our life. Our trust must only be in the Lord. If you trust your job, then you're going to have some insecurities. If you trust even your spouse in your marriage, there's going to be insecurities. If you trust your education or your power, there will be insecurities. But those that trust in the Lord are eternally secure. I'm reminded of a, uh, of a story told by a missionary uh, it's, it's the story of a, of a master that made his servant go hunting with him all the time. And this servant will constantly try to get the master to trust in Yahweh and place his faith in him. But the master never would listen to him. Eventually, the master said, I will trust in your God. I will believe in him. The very next day after this master, has, this king has now placed his trust in his servant, they go hunting again. And a lion jumps out of the bushes. And before the king has a chance to shoot the lion, it bites his right pinky finger off. Now, of course, the king is, is angry, right? Like, I just placed my trust in the Lord, and this is what happens. And he sends the, his servant to prison to be beaten. The very next day, the king goes hunting again. This time alone, his servant is in jail. And he gets captured by a foreign tribe. And this foreign tribe, they offer up their captives as sacrifices to their gods. So the king is now being tied up, and he's about to be offered a sacrifice until one of the tribe members realize the king has a pinky finger missing. They immediately let everyone know. They let him go free, and it's explained to the king that we only offer a whole body to our gods. So we, we, can't, we can't offer you a sacrifice. The king is excited, right? So he runs back, sets his servant free, and apologizes to him. And then the king realizes something. Wait a minute. Your God protected me, but why didn't he protect you from my imprisonment and my beating? And the servant looked at the king and he said, My Lord, I have all of my body members. If I had went hunting with you, I would have been sacrificed. And so we look at God's protection, and sometimes it's not in the way that we, we view it, right? We think, oh, it has to happen this way, or else I'm not protected. And what we see here and what we see throughout Christian history is that God protects us in a way that is oftentimes foreign to our imagination. God protects his people from danger seen and unseen. 
Look at Psalm, uh, look at it, look at it some more. It says, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. He is a circle of protection around God's people. It sounds like Job 1.10, right? Where God tells Satan, have you not considered my servant Job? And what does he say? Have you not put a hedge all around him and his house and all that he has on every side? It's reminiscent of Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 6, where the servant is afraid because he's looking out the window and there's an enemy army that has surrounded them and the city. And Elisha is calm and the servant is panicking. And Elisha says to the Lord, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And the servant's eyes are open. And what does he see? Yes, he sees the enemy army all around them, but around the enemy army is God's army. See, that is my prayer for all of you today, is that God would open your eyes and that you would see his protection around you. Though you may not see it, the Lord is protecting you. Because if you were honest, there's a lot of crazy drivers out there and you should have been in an accident a long time ago. The Lord protects you. A lot of the fellows in here, you've done some crazy things as a child, right? And, and recently. But the Lord protects you. God's protection is all around you. And even though Satan demands to have you, that he may sift you as weak, as wheat. Jesus says these words. My father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. If you trust in the Lord, then you can rest in the security of God's eternal protection. So there is protection for those that trust in the Lord. There is security for those that trust in the Lord. However, those that will not rest in the Lord and will not trust in him, will not have security. Let's look at verse 3. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. So we can trust in God, not just because of his eternal protection, but also because of his eternal promises. Uh, many times when we talk about God's protection, we fall for the lie, right, that no harm will come our way. But verse 3 reminds us very quickly that God's protection does not mean wickedness will not come. Wickedness will come. It will not last forever. Verse 1 says, those that trust in the Lord abides what? Forever. Verse 2, the Lord surrounds his people forever. But verse 3 says this, the scepter of the wickedness shall not rest. It won't last. It will not last. The phrase, the scepter of wickedness, is referring to an ungodly ruler here. It could either be a pagan king or one of the Israel's kings that had turned their back to the Lord. Uh, if you recall, Israel faced many years under wicked, wicked rulers. And what happened during this time? A lot of the people, because they wanted comfort, they turned from the Lord and decided to follow after these wicked, ungodly kings and rulers. The wicked will rule 
at times. You cannot turn to them. There will be times when justice lose the battle to injustice and unjust judges, unjust governors, and other officials will become the majority. Like, we've seen this, right? Like, I could point back to 50 years ago, right? I could point back to 100 years ago, 20 years ago, but we can see it today. We can see today wicked, ungodly government officials that are going to jail for poisoning the people that they place that placed them in office. We can see today judges being locked up for taking bribes from private prisons to send innocent people there. That's going on today. We can see people with low morals asking you to vote them in a high position. And my question for you and what the Bible asks us is how are we going to react when these people come along? Are you going to allow unethical politicians to call friction between your brother and sister in Christ. We must not place our trust and hope in the rulers of this earth, especially perverted, ungodly leaders. In God we trust. Living under uh, pagan leadership it's supposed to, what it really does is causes people to reveal whether or not they was on the Yahweh's side in the first place. Uh, I think Allison said this several times, but it's evidence in sermons and, 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 and the, the Bible that sometimes hard times come, ungodly leadership comes, so we can find out who are the true Israelites. We do not have to fear when the rain of a wicked ruler showed alone. Because those that are truly in Christ, those of you that are truly in Christ, will not turn from your faith. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with every temptation, he will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. We must face the ruler that tells us to deny our God with the faith of the three Hebrew boys. Knowing that whatever punishment may come our way, our God is able to deliver us from it. The scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous unless the righteous may stretch out their hands to do wrong. God promises you that he will protect you in the land that is ruled by ungodly leaders. And we must trust in that. We must trust in that. His promises that he makes are exactly what the psalmist prays to the Lord to do. Look at the next verse. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But to those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Like, this sounds like the blessing and cursing that you'll find in Deuteronomy 28, right? Like there's blessings for those that obey God 
and then there's curses for those that disobey God. The psalmist isn't asking the Lord to do anything that he hasn't already promised he would do. Verse 4 and 5 is a good summary of Deuteronomy 28. The Lord will do good to those that are good and vice versa. But we have to look at this phrase, those who are good. Who is good? I mean, Paul, Paul quotes Psalm 14 and 53. None is righteous. No, not one. No one does good. Who is good then? The psalmist explains what he means when he says this. Those that are good are those who are upright in their hearts. This means it cannot just be about your actions and your words. That there's a different way to measure those who are good. And that is something that only the Lord can see. God is the only one that can see the heart. And those that are good are those that he was talking about in verse 1. Those who trust in the Lord. Is that, is that not what we mean even today when we say someone's good or they're saved or they're a Christian? Is that not what it means? We just means that someone, that person, is not trusting in their own good deeds, in their own good knowledge and words, but they're putting all their trust in the Lord, right? That's what it means to be good. Saying that I, on my own strength, would never be good. So Jesus, I put my trust in you and what you have done for me. So you have this contrast here between those that trust in the Lord and those who turn aside from him and put their trust in their own decision. These people put their trust in their own rulers, in their own crooked and sinful ways. But as for us, we put our trust in God because he can give us eternal protection. Only he can fulfill every promise. Only he can say, trust me, there will be everlasting peace. Peace that comes from security in him. This trust does not say there will never be pain. It says that for this light momentary affliction, it's preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This trust does not mean we will never be afraid. It means we, when we are afraid, we hear that soothing voice that says, I am with you always. This trust does not mean we will not cry. It means that weeping will sometimes endure for nights, but joy is going to come in the morning. In God we trust. He will protect us. When we are afflicted in every way, we will not be crushed. When we are perplexed, we will not be driven to despair. When we are persecuted, we know we are not forsaken. And when we are struck down, we know we are not destroyed because God surrounds us and protects us with his eternal protection. So verse 5 ends by saying, Those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Why, why, why does that have to wait? Why, why, if this is going to happen, why not just go ahead and let it happen? 
Now, the reason he's going to do away with them is we already mentioned that verse three, right? Like the longer they're around here, the more likely they're going to cause others to fall after them. So why does this process have to wait? It's the same reason that we find in Matthew chapter 13, right, with the parable of the weeds. That the, the, the master, the good guy, he plants wheat, and he goes to sleep, and the enemy comes in, and he plants weeds. And, and when they start growing up, the servant notices, wait a minute, there's a lot of weeds here. So he runs to his master and says, master, somebody's planted weeds with the wheat. And what does his master say? The enemy has done this. Well, should I go and go ahead and pull up all the weeds? And he says, no. Because in doing so, you may actually pull up some of the weeds. But we're going to wait for them both to grow up, right? Sometimes it's hard to tell the difference when they're growing. What's wheat and what's weed? But when, when, it's, when the harvest is ready, when the harvest is ready, we're going to be able to decide who is truly the good and who is truly the bad. But that can't happen now. Because in pulling up the weeds now, we will lose some of the wheat. This phrase here in the Hebrew, uh, the phrase, those who turn aside, it, it literally means the ones causing to turn aside. And so it's kind of a, a word or a phrase play here with the, uh, by the artist, by the author, that he's saying not only will God lead away those that turn aside, but he's also going to make sure you remember, he's going to cast away those that cause them to turn aside. He's talking about judgment for both. Those that are sinners because that's the way they always want it to be, and those that cause others to stumble. But then he does something really weird to me. After he talks about the Lord's judgment and wrath, and how he's going to turn aside uh evildoers and lead them away he says peace be unto upon Israel peace be unto Israel why is that at the end of this verse like I understand right as I'm reading that God's protection brings peace I'm, I understand as I'm reading that God's promise brings peace but his judgment how does that bring peace because of this, when God carries out his righteous judgment, there will be no greater peace for the believers. Those that are in Christ, those that obey God, God's judgment and his wrath and his punishment is good news for us. Because that's what we want. We want righteous justice on this earth. And you ought to be able to say that if you do everything you're supposed to, and for us that may place our trust in Christ, then you don't have to worry about judgment. You ought to be able to say that if you obey the law, then you don't have to worry about the consequences of the law. And with the Lord, that is an emphatic truth. God's justice and judgment is good news for us. Why? Because of what happened at the cross. Because of what happened at the cross. See, Christ took on God's wrath and judgment for us. We don't have to worry about that. For those that are believers, you can be secure that God has already placed his wrath and judgment. And it's not going to be upon you. 
So when we stand before God on judgment day, we won't stand before the judge. We'll be standing before our father. And that is good news. His peace is like the protection and the promises that I mentioned earlier. The emphasis is on the eternal and not on what we imagine or think should happen right now. God protects his people, but still many are dying. God promises to do away with evil and ungodly people, but they're still here. God says he will keep you in eternal peace, but we still have anxieties. Why? Because they are eternal privileges. God's protection is eternal because they can kill our body, but it can't touch our soul. God's promises are eternal because even though Abraham went to the land that was promised to him on earth, he was still looking forward to the place where the designer and the builder was God. God's peace is eternal because one day we will go to a place where there will be no more crying. There will be no more dying or sorrow or anxieties. That's why I trust in God. In God I trust because he's always there. I trust in God because his reign is forever. I trust in God because he's the righteous judge. I trust in God because he loves me. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And what you need to remember is that he's the president of presidents. I trust in the Lord, not in the Democratic Party. I trust in the Lord, not in the Republican Party. I trust in the Lord, not in my job, not in my education, but only in God I trust. Because that is the only thing that's going to last. So in a world that trusts in the government, Christians, you trust in God. In a world that trusts in the education system, Christians, you trust only in God. In a world that trusts in making more and more money to solve problems, Christians, you trust in God. Because at the end of it all, God is the only one that will still be there. In the end of it all, God is the only one that can protect you. God is the only one that can give you peace. And God promises that he will give you these things if you trust in him. Let's pray. Lord, with so many distractions going on around us, with so many things that cause us to worry and despair, we oftentimes lose sight of what it is you have done for us and what you will do for us. And so we decide to trust in things that are not even like you. We decide to trust in people that promise us comfort. We decide, Lord, to trust in the very things that are slowly killing us. So, Father, I ask that you would turn our eyes away from worthless things and that you would turn our hearts towards your word. Give us the strength to live in a land that will be dominated 
by ungodly people. Give us the courage as you gave the disciples. Give us boldness to be unashamed of the gospel. Even if it means our career and our life. And Father, for those that are in the land now that is not as safe as our country is when it comes to believing in Christ, will you give us sympathy and empathy and give us the heart to pray for them? Give them the strength to continue to stand for your word. But Father, even now, we pray for justice. Knowing that when you come back, justice will be restored. Knowing that when you come back, those that are persecuted will be protected. Those that have been reviled will be rewarded. And those that have been killed will become kings and queens. Father, be with us now and forevermore. Amen.